You may be seated. It can be easy to forget, uh, for all we Christians talk about Jesus, that Jesus was Jewish. His parents were Jewish, his family was Jewish, his disciples were Jewish. It took decades for Jesus' followers to begin thinking of themselves as significantly different enough to uh, warrant some sort of separation religiously. And in the meantime, today we see Jesus' parents doing what was expected of faithful Jews in that day, to come to the temple and thank God 40 days after the birth of their firstborn son. It was prescribed in the Torah, otherwise, the, otherwise known as the Hebrew Scriptures, or the Old Testament. And this feast of the presentation of Jesus in the temple is one of the ancient celebrations of the church, 40 days after Christmas, always on February 2nd. And so Christians for centuries have celebrated the churching of women, the churching of women um, out of this same tradition. So again, 40 days after birth to uh, have a ceremony of welcoming back women who have given birth of a child um, after that time of healing and rest back into that community of faith. But churching is an intriguing idea, isn't it? Um, who do we let into the temple? Who do we welcome into God's house? Who do we want to church? Who would we rather avoid churching? And how is the Episcopal Church done with bringing those from the margins into the center of our worshiping life. I don't know if you all have noticed, but uh, we've had a sign for years. Bob, I think, actually helped put it up. that says, the Episcopal Church welcomes you right outside on 30th Street. Um, and that's been the slogan of the church, perhaps not the most inspired one, um, for, for a long time. And that is great, right? I'm so glad that we're welcoming people. Um, but, but there's other ways we communicate welcome or not welcoming, right? And I think one of the ways we signal about who we are and who we want to be and who's invited is our leadership. And so it matters that Michael Curry is her presiding bishop, first African-American to serve in that capacity. It matters that 31 years ago, on February 11th, we consecrated our first female bishop in the Episcopal Church, Barbara Harris in Massachusetts, who also represented the first female bishop in the Global Anglican Communion. That was in 1989. Barbara Harris is on the front of our bulletin today, and uh, we'll be sharing some of her prayers later in the service. And in 1989, in Massachusetts, that occasion was cause of people leaving the church. I'll also say this is the year that's the centennial of the 19th Amendment, so giving women the right to vote in 2020. I was in Los Angeles this last week as part of a team that was helping people to assess whether they were the right fit to begin a new church ministry. And I met a woman, an African-American woman in her 50s, who has had a dream to begin a new church in Harlem, a historically African-American part of New York. Um, and she was dismayed to find that of the 13 churches, Episcopal churches, in that neighborhood, 12 of them are led by white people, and 10 of the 13 are white male priests in Harlem. And she says, you know, when I walk into a church 
that is pretty much all black, and I see a white leader, it just makes me ask questions. I just kind of wonder, kind of wonder why. Like it makes me, makes me ask questions. I under, can understand why she would say that. <laughs> I thought it was a good time to tell her about St. Luke's. <laughs> um, which, of course, has been a church that's been white for 80 years. Um, in the early 2000s, started a process of becoming a Sudanese-American congregation. And that transition took some doing. Many of you faithful were patient and loving and gracious in that process. Um, now, even in the last few years, more changes still, right? And I am grateful for your willingness to stay engaged in the beautiful, messy, uplifting adventure that it is to be a part of this, this church. But we have to raise up more clergy that don't look like me, right? And especially in a place like this. So please, people tell me that God is calling you to serve as a deacon or priest in this church. I really appreciate that. Um, we need to start that process. And honestly, there have been people. And there are institutional barriers, including some of the requirements around education and not accepting education that has happened in Africa. And so there's... There's a lot of issues, um, but please help us. But there's a larger question too, right? So it's really like what, what is this space for? What is church for? Who are we inviting into this space? And of course, space, this, this beautiful space is not church, right? It's the community. Um, but what we're aspiring to, the invitation that we aspire to, is that the whole world is invited into this space. The whole world and all of its diversity is invited in this space to be transformed. Not again by its beauty, but by us, all of us together in this process of transformation as God helps us to see how God is working in our lives and how much we need that help. But what would it mean to invite the world in? What does that look like? Some of you might remember uh, last summer, a couple of times we invited the press and TV cameras into the sanctuary to protest the detention and then celebrate Constantine's liberation from detention. That was letting the world in. Letting the world in looks like in a couple of weeks on February 19th, the candidates for District 3 of City, City Council are going to be here for a candidates forum. And I hope they do find this space beautiful, but I hope they also experience your loving and attentive and powerful presence here, asking them questions especially about what their plans are for the least and lost in these communities. That's what it looks like to invite the world in, to church the world, if you will. We also have dreams to begin something we call like a dinner church, probably downstairs, inviting especially those experiencing homelessness and the spiritual but not religious crowd that maybe isn't quite so sure about what we do up here on Sunday mornings, but, but longs for the same meaning and purpose that we all do, for some sort of alternate community together centered around food on a weekly basis. what it looks like to invite the world in. I actually hope that you all will begin praying about how God might be calling you to help us as we begin launching that new adventure together. Speaking of prayer, uh, 
you might remember, this is the year of discipleship that the bishop is called. Um, and during the season of Epiphany, we're focusing on prayer. So two weeks ago, I shared a bit about uh, the little prince's take on friendship and how it might apply a bit to our friendship with God. So I don't know if any of you had a chance to experiment a little bit with the idea of just trying to inch closer to God um, in our prayer life, maybe without words, but just seeing what it feels like to just sit in God's presence. So regardless of how that went for you, um, we have a new homework prayer experiment. So find those red books around. Do you see any red book around right now? And turn to page 127. So this is a book of common prayer. If anyone doesn't know yet, book of common prayer. It's been around since 1549. And it's uh, close to the heart of the Anglican identity, um, who we are. Um, do you guys see red books anywhere? Um, on page 127, there's a five-minute prayer called Compline. So Compline is a prayer that for centuries nuns and monks have used as part of their eight-time eight cycle of prayer during the day. And so the prayer of Compline on page 127 of those red, red books, I think we took all of them out of the choir, so I'll, sorry, guys. Yeah, okay. It's also online. So if it's helpful, you should take these home um, and bring them back or not. Uh, I think it would be a great problem to have that everyone took our books home. Like, that would be awesome if you, if you use the books of common prayer. We can, we can buy more if we need them. Um, and try out this five-minute prayer of Compline during the week, ideally with the people under your roof. And just see what it might do for you. Um, I thought of it because it ends with, if you turn a few pages to the end of that, with the Song of Simeon, which we read in the Gospel today. Uh, Lord, you now have set your servant free to go in peace as you have promised. For these eyes of mine have seen the Savior whom you have prepared for all the world to see, a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of your people Israel. And I just think it's an amazing way to end a day, right? It kind of implies that perhaps if we can just notice God's work in the world, that that's enough, that, that, we, that maybe that's the most significant accomplish of our, accomplishment of our days if we have seen the Savior at work in the world, and that we can go to sleep. We can let the rest go. All the anxieties and worries buzzing in our heads are no match from just recognizing that Jesus is with us. God is still working in this world. God hasn't given up on us or this world. That's how Compline ends. So try it this week. Try that form of prayer. And as part of that, let's just start to kind of pay attention to what we have to offer up to God. So Mary offers up her son Jesus. Maybe what we offer up through Compline is our experience of Jesus during the day. Maybe that's enough. And may God give us all the courage and the patience um, and the love to continue to be surprised by who else God will bring into this space to church. And may we all be transformed by the process.